All right, people, let's do this one last time. You know who I am. Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. 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 I'm Spider-Man. I'm not the only one. Welcome back to a Geek Explained Extra series that we're calling Spidey Sember, where every in the lead up to No Way Home, the climactic climax of the Tom Holland Spider-Man trilogy, we are checking out every single theatrically released film in Spider-Man's history on the silver screen. We've gone through the Raimi trilogy. We went through the Garfield duology. And we even took a brief pit stop out into the Spider-Verse. But now, we are coming home. Because this episode, we're talking about Spider-Man Homecoming. Released in 2017, directed by John Watts, and written by committee. And what I mean by that <laughs> is that we have Jonathan Goldstein, John Francis Daly, John Watts, Christopher Ford, Chris McKenna, and Eric Summers, and all of our lovely patrons who are here supporting Spider-Man and writing just at a summer camp, apparently, to get this <laughs> film together. But uh, this film is the first uh, Spider-Man MCU film. This is bringing Spider-Man back. And speaking of bringing it all back, we have our amazing... <laughs> We have our amazing co-hosts here. Uh, first, I'm going to go to Chris first because I learned from last episode. <laughs> we have the sensational Chris Carter. Good evening, everybody. And the spectacular AJ Kincaid. And Zendaya. How's it going, everybody? <laughs> what are you doing? I don't I'm even get that. The internet. I'm here I don't for even the get internet. that. Re no, okay. You have to explain that reference to me right now uh, okay so there was like that's a that's an internet meme like if you look up i think i can't remember like what awful like abominable snowman or yeti like movie there was but zendaya was in it and somebody okay. was just like singing a song in front of a bunch of posters and just there, there's a big line that just says and zendaya and there is an entire meme Forever okay one for that what? so everyone within like the, the 2020 time on twitter is laughing right now i feel like you can also just like kind of slap that meme onto space jam 2 yeah Zendaya no absolutely See? and people have people i'm have. sure yeah that makes fucking sense people are wow. awful but right. we are here we are talking about spider-man homecoming in the far-flung yes. past of 2017 yeah. um gentlemen do you remember the first time you saw this film? I'm going to go to AJ first. Um, you know, funny enough, like it took me a while to kind of see this movie. It wasn't until it came out on um, Blu-ray and my roommate showed it to me. And I remember really kind of being swept away with this new Spider-Man and especially um, his new standalone movie and the possibilities that really could kind of come from. There were a few things that I kind of had issue with and kind of some things I, you know, forgave and some things that I really enjoyed and really can't couldn't wait to see more out of. And, you know, kind of rewatching it now, like it still like it reaffirmed a few things for me, especially. Nice. Chris? 
Dude, I don't know the first time I saw it, but I, I, this is the weirdest thing. And I, I was telling Jessica about this yesterday. I'm like, yeah, we saw this movie. Right. And she's like, I've never seen it. I'm like, no, you've seen it Shout because I saw it in the theater and like, this came out in the time that I would have only seen this with you. So I don't know. I don't know. And she's like, I've never seen it. And I'm like, no, we've seen it. Anyway. So, so I don't remember, I guess who I saw with now, I suppose it was Jessica, but maybe it's not. So did we, we didn't see it together, right? Nobody, nobody here in this room. I, I don't think we did. The no, fuck? I well, so. I saw in the theater with somebody and um, I was second I, wife. I, my second wife. Yes. Who she went with my three other kids and my four other dogs. Um, I Cause I have it. so much time for that. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I really, I really enjoyed it. And I got to say that, and I want to talk about this, you know, get your guys' opinion as we go into it, but this wasn't Tom Holland's first. Everybody knows this, right? Every, right. This wasn't okay. So he was introduced in Civil War, which happened to be Correct. my favorite MCU film. And so he had that kind of the best lead in that anybody can get, yeah. he got right. And so, and um, I think that as we go into it, really helped people get on board for this. It was a great Kickstarter, it was a great campaign to get people interested in Spider-Man and the story they were gonna tell. And of course, I think that they even hedged their bet, and I'm, I'm sure you'll talk about this too, Eric, with Sony and MCU, kind of the, the deal that they had struck yeah. to get they, they even had um Robert Downer Jr. in it as Iron Man in yep. this film. And of course, he's on the poster. Like yeah. he might be in the movie for 15, 20 minutes, but he's on the poster. Yeah, he he's was finally. he was in. Yeah. At least half of the promotional material, if not all of it. Right. And his screen time, I, I mean, I'll look it up eventually, but I can't end up in more than half an hour in the runtime, if no. that. Um, but I really enjoyed it for a couple of different reasons that we'll get into. But um, I thought Michael Keaton, and I've been a Michael Keaton fan for a while. He kind of fell off. But have you guys seen Birdman? Absolutely. I, oh, Incredible yeah. film. I It's fucking amazing. And so when he came back kind of through Birdman, I just followed his, I came back into his career. He's incredible in that. And he's incredible in this. And I think yeah. um, that really helps. There's a couple of things that really help this to be catapulted to where, um, you know, Holland Spider-Man is kind of at in the MCU and, and, and all of that stuff. So, you know, they were, they were fishing with dynamite. I enjoyed it guys. And I can't wait to talk about it. I can't answer your question, Eric. The longest non-answer I can ever give was I saw it. <laughs> I don't remember who with, and I remember when, but I really enjoyed it. Thank you for that. I know, right? So concise. I mean, that was right to the point. You know, I just, it? I was surprised. Was right you know, you have more time to talk if you want. You know, you didn't, <laughs> didn't use any of your allotted time. I know, right? The red light wasn't flashing or anything, you know? <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's funny because I remember seeing this and this was, um, this might have been one of the last, like, I don't, I don't know. No, it wasn't because I remember we went and saw, uh, uh infinity war like at midnight but this was one of like the one of the first like big superhero films that i saw after we moved out to la mm -hmm. and getting into you know into this film i was really just taken aback by like mm. everything you guys said like the tone the characters like the direction they decide to go with it and i thought it was incredibly inspired and i saw it i think twice in theaters and i liked it even better the second time and i'm gonna be honest i liked it 
just as much if not more watching it this time so mm-hmm. uh let's get let's get into this film so there was a lot that came into bringing spider-man back to marvel when it comes to uh the film franchise and it all kind of stems from the collapse of the amazing spider-man franchise right we talked last episode about how the film even though it does have its, you know, its merits, there were a lot of problems with the film. And most of it honestly stemmed from studio interference, stemmed from a lot of the uh, a lot of the ideas that Sony executives had to try and build this out and do a gigantic like cinematic universe centered on Spider-Man. And to that end, they had not just a third Amazing Spider-Man film planned, but they had a two part fourth film plan. They had release dates. The third film was going to be dealing with Spider-Man dealing with the uh, the grief over Gwen Stacy and was possibly going to introduce Craven the Hunter. The fourth film mm. was going to bring Gwen Stacy back as the villain Carnage, going straight up Ultimate Spider-Man with it. Um, just a lot of like big swings and huge misses. But as <laughs> like time started to go on after the second film uh, came out, and you know talks were still ongoing, they're like, "Oh shit, we got to." delay this so they continued to delay it and then and then we got the sony hack the big old sony hack which was the flashpoint for a lot of sony stuff right yeah so one of the major things that caught a lot of people's attention with the sony hack was that it revealed a series of emails between Sony executives and executives at Marvel Studios to try and bring Spider-Man into the MCU. There had been little hints and teases here and there. The Oscorp building from uh, Amazing Spider-Man 1 was supposed to be in the 2012 Avengers film, but they just couldn't get the previs done in time. And there had been like little hints that maybe, just maybe, this could possibly inhabit the same world. But through this uh, email chain, it was discussed that, look, we're kind of over this. We're done with Amazing Spider-Man. We are going to, you know, do something else that we want you to be a part of it, you being Marvel. And in February of 2015, Sony and Marvel announced a blockbuster deal to bring Spider-Man to the MCU. I remember where I was when I when we all found out about the news and I was just over the moon about it. I I remember this distinctly. Everybody was going crazy. Spider-Man's coming back to Marvel. This is going to be incredible. But as Chris alluded to, the first appearance of Spider-Man was not in a Spider-Man solo film. It was in Captain America Civil War, one of the best MCU films. It is Chris's favorite. And I still think it is quite possibly the most important MCU film when it comes to the story, the narrative of that universe. But in the endeavor to figure out what they were going to do with this Spider-Man, they immediately were like, okay, we know a solo film's coming. We're going to work together on it. Who do we want to direct? And they chose John Watts. He was hired on as the director, and simultaneously, Michael Giacchino was brought on to do the score. Michael Giacchino is incredible. Some of the, some of your favorite soundtracks, probably by Michael Giacchino. And if that name sounds at all familiar, it's because 
this boy's doing the Spider-Man or the uh, the Batman soundtrack coming in mm. just a few months now. Uh, he is the guy who is creating that score. He released, you know, that tease for the Batman, uh, the Rob Batten, Patton Bat uh, theme that we're going to get for that film. Uh, so he is big time. So this was a big deal that we were getting some heavy hitters to work on this film. And John Watts very heavily lent into some very specific influences, uh, specifically John Hughes films. He wanted to tell a story of Spider-Man in high school and treat it like those classic 80s high school films. He also drew elements from the Ultimate Spider-Man series, as well as a comic called Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane. So there's a lot of influences, and I love that he actually pulled you know comic stuff because this is comic book media y'all that's <laughs> what the game is and so i enjoy that they decide to go into that with the idea that we need to hit the ground running and make the spider-man feel different from the previous iterations and to that end they began the search for spider-man now i'm gonna rattle off some names here for potential spider-men that we could have gotten on earths two three four and beyond um initially when they announced this two names immediately popped up as front runners logan lerman and dylan o'brien dylan o'brien has been my fan cast for spider-man for years since like 2011 probably and so the two of them and logan lerman obviously was known best for the percy jackson films and these two guys were like these are our big heavy hitters these are the front runners immediately we are going to be looking at these guys and so after the initial you know hype around that died down we started to get names of other uh potential spider men including pretty much every guy who looked mildly 15 to 18 with brown hair uh pretty much it was a it was a rat race to get to the uh audition room for this so some names i want to rattle off uh charlie Rowe, charlie Plummer, matthew lintz judah lewis Tony Revolori, who would end up being cast as Flash Thompson later on, uh, Liam James, Nat Wolf, Timothy Chalamet, and Asa Butterfield was this big crop. Yes. Also Stephen Ford. Yes. Also Stephen Ford. Got to respect Stephen Ford. Shout out to him. But eventually, as time went on, the two frontrunners became Asa Butterfield and a little-known actor named Tom Holland. And after screen tests where this, this was incredible because they did this casting process over the course of like maybe two months, which is normally not the, uh, not the time frame that they do this in. They usually take a lot more care in this. But they were like, we're already filming civil war so we got to knock this out and both actors were brought in to do screen tests with not just tony stark but also steve rogers rdj and chris evans respectively and eventually it was decided that due to his age as well as his gymnastics background and his natural chemistry with robert downey jr tom holland was selected to be the new spider-man now 
We first got our taste of Tom Holland's Spider-Man, as we said before, in Captain America Civil War. But we aren't introduced to him as Spider-Man. He pops up in that film as Peter Parker with his hot Aunt May and <laughs> meeting uh, Tony Stark for the first time. The two of them having this really great, you know, self-contained uh, scene that would later be just blatantly ripped off in the Justice League film. And having the two of that, having the introduction to Spider-Man be through Peter Parker, I thought was really smart. And how do you guys, because I remember us seeing Civil War. We all saw Civil War together. And when we first saw Tom Holland's Peter Parker pop up, we all slowly shifted to the, to the left to look at our buddy, John Noble, because it was (laughs) uncanny how much this Peter Parker was our friend, John Noble. Shout out to John. He's been on the podcast multiple times. Um, How do you guys feel about Tom Holland as Spider-Man in Civil War and then also specifically in Spider-Man Homecoming. And do you go first on this one? All right. Um, I I was really impressed uh, in Civil War just how charismatic um, this kid and this actor was. He was awkward, but it was playful. It wasn't too much. It wasn't too weird. It was still um, approachable and likable all at the same time. Being relatable, but also still, you know, being handsome and good looking and you know looking like a movie star you, you know doing everything that you're you you are supposed to be in a movie and you know as a peter parker i think that tom holland does a fantastic job i really enjoy tom, a lot of people give tom holland a lot of crap and i i don't know i i think that he does great in both departments i think he's a really really great everyman kind of figure and kind of character actor or at least like that sort of like every man like lead lead type I would say yeah um I wouldn't I wouldn't say character actor specifically but like that sort of specific type I would very much put him in and bringing that to Spider Man I think is such a great great time and I, seeing him like really really shine in Civil War I remember so many people were just like he was the best part of uh that movie for me and for me it was black panther but of course i i I totally understood what they were talking about and just like just how much he stole like the spotlight away from like these already established stars and then to you know be his own lead in a movie and to take on like you know the mantle of such an important character and really knock it out of the park in my opinion for this movie this is this is my this is my favorite um tom holland as uh, Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. This is my favorite one. And nice. rewatching it cemented it for me. This is, I I think that he does some really good Peter Parker and Spider-Man work. And you can mm. really see that he has so much fun and that he loves this character. And that is something that I appreciate. And that's the energy that I want to get. At, and especially out of these movies. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Tom Holland fan as Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Everything else it depends on what it is as it should be. But as Spider Man, I I will continue to watch uh, Tom Holland. Like if it, if it is another like rumors as it is of three more movies, I'm game. Like sign me up. I'm I'm full game for sure. Chris, how do you feel? You, you know about Tom Holland. It's I kind of agree with Andrew. Um, in in the fact that he is wonderful. And I can't. And when you talk about John Noble, it's that is one hundred percent true. 
Um, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. I mean, yes, he's handsome, but he's kind of like, he's aloof. He's like, not always there kind of slow to the game. I'm like, but you know, it was, it's great when, when it's so funny when you say that, like, I really did think of John as soon as I saw him in there, just the mannerisms. Um, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because from the technical standpoint, Andrew is right. He is all of those things. He's charming. He's charismatic. When he's on the screen, he steals it. But also we were talking before we got on that he was given such a great support system as in like the bones were there. They yeah. didn't just ask. Cause I don't know if you guys knew, do you know how many things Tom Holland had been in before he was cast as Spider-Man? Not a lot. Right. It was, he was one, two, three, four, five, six, six things. And two of those things, he was an extra. One of them, he was a voice. So wow. imagine, you know, you being in, and this is just to Andrew's point here, and I'm sure to yours too, Eric, that when you're given the mantle of such a character on this level of the franchise, like, you know, the expectations are super high. When that happens, a lot of people tend to wilt under that pressure with, yeah. from various angles. But here, yes, he was asked to, and I want to, let me back up. I want to go back to Civil War really quick because in Civil War, I, I'm Eric, do you know if they shot that scene at the airport before they had cast Spider-Man, like the actor? I, you know, I don't believe they, so, but it wouldn't surprise me with how like far out they, yeah. they film these things for all the special effects that they have to do for it. I mm. I think I read some more that they did, and I just wanted to sign up a confirmation by someone you might know that because I'm because I'm sure that they did like they specific reshoots there, right? for yeah, and specific reshoots for like for the, the scenes he has size. with uh, Chris Evans and like yeah, you know, unmasked stuff. Like yeah, they probably did that at the very end. Like they yeah. could just they yeah. could those, those could be pickups. Because the that, idea you know, of that yeah. film was the whole reason that they brought Black Panther into that film was because he was going to fill the Spider Man role. From well, the comic of it's important Civil that War. see and it's so it's mm. funny this is this is why having friends like you guys is great i didn't know that <laughs> and i think eric you let me borrow your civil war graphic novel like the whole the chunk of it too yeah. so i knew that spider-man was an integral piece to that story to the civil war story and i think and I, again you would know but i would part of the push this came out in 2014 also when that leak came out was that they needed sony spider-man to make civil war work and I think so they also needed Civil War to make uh, in Infinity War work because they needed that. So when you when you are the mastermind that Kevin Feige is, he knew that they needed to get that IP into their camp. And we'll talk about what they had to give up to Sony to borrow Spider-Man for those films too and in the agreement. Right. But for people that don't know, just real quick, um, why was why is Spider-Man so important to the Civil War story? Because there are people like me that don't know or, or that didn't know. So you, you mind if I take the floor here? No, that's I'm kind of off. Um, so basically Civil War, um, which is an infinitely better uh, movie than comic. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, you know, a lot of the trappings are still there from the event, right? So we've got the superhero, Superhuman Registration Act, Sides, Team Cap, Team Iron Man, that kind of thing. Spider-Man was an interesting case because he had always been written as somebody who was a loner and wasn't really a huge fan of being on teams. And they had just gotten, you know, Brian Michael Bendis's new Avengers off the ground where Spider-Man is going to be 
an Avenger. He's going to be on the team. We've got this whole thing going. And so when this happens, when this event happens, they get all of the heroes together. They divide them into two camps. Spider-Man's almost kind of uh, emotionally bullied and manipulated into being on, on Iron Man's team. And his biggest contribution to that to that event is him revealing his identity to the world Mm -hmm. so during that event he goes up in front of everybody press conference style pulls off his mask says i'm peter parker and this is meant to be this big you know grand gesture for other heroes to say oh shit if spider-man's doing it then everything's totally cool we should we should all go do this and what ends up happening is it ruins peter parker's life because, you know, then all of the people who he holds dear are put under the microscope. Aunt May gets multiple assassination attempts, which, I mean, you're trying to kill an old lady, guys. Why, why does it take so many times? <laughs> but like, and so all of his, his life basically goes to hell. And while this is all happening, he's fighting on the side of uh, Iron Man. He gets that classic golden red uh, Iron Spider armor that's so iconic. Um, and during the event, he changes sides because he sees all of the lengths that Iron Man is willing to go to to enact and enforce this law. And so he has this big old like dust up with Iron Man to essentially like break out from the group and goes and joins Cap's side for the remainder of the event. And then we go into stuff like one more day and everything that comes up with that but that's kind of one of the biggest um one of the biggest contributions and one of the things that people remember the most about civil war is spider-man revealing his identity right so that's why a lot of people you know when they wanted to come up with this film they're like we should have spider-man but i want to say i want to make it very clear Kevin Feige and Marvel were prepared to do this film without Spider-Man. They had gotten this together. They're like, Black Panther is going to be our our Spidey in essence. They got this hot young actor named Chadwick Boseman to play the character. And they were prepared to go forward without Spider-Man. The deal was ongoing. But they're like, if we don't clinch this like in a certain amount of time, we're going to have to do this film without him. And that's, you know, it came at the 11th hour. They were able to get everything together. And then lo and behold, we've got Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, and so it's important to know that like where that came from and and he, Spider-Man being introduced in Civil War, which again, I, I will say it until the end. That was my favorite uh, MCU film. I think that with being surrounded by those characters and also having the ability to be catapulted in a film where, you know, we were talking about Iron Man's on the poster. You yeah. know, we, we have mm-hmm. a lot of that crossover. So they hedge their bet from an actor who's been in, you know, five things before this once as an, an extra, once as a voice actor. It's like, dude, you know, you're now the guy. So let me give you some help. Let's put you on third and let's, you know, you're, you're going to be okay. And I think because of that, and I'm not taking anything from Holland because obviously sure. it's worthy. He, his star has astronomically risen and, I'm apprehensive about this new Uncharted franchise. I will see it not in the theater. <laughs> what Uncharted film? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what were you talking about? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's so weird, right? Just you mean, the are, are they making like a larger version of the short film that Nathan Fillion did? Because I'm down for that. Oddly, they are. Oh, yeah. cool. Cool. Oh, Nathan Fillion's yes. still going to be Nathan Drake. Great. Love it. 
Um, but, but, you know, I, I really enjoyed watching Holland kind of take the mental and not fail. Like that's, yeah. you could have, yeah. he could have easily failed and he did not And it just, I'm, I'm sure that somebody somewhere is saying that was the guy I picked. That was my casting choice out of all everybody else. And it's just validation, you know? Mm -hmm. So, well, and it's, it's fascinating to me because like you said, they, this shouldn't have worked. Right. They've like they hot shotted this forward. They tried to like cram him into this film into uh, into Civil War. And then they were like, OK, now we got now what we got to give him a film to himself. We got to make sure that there's Marvel influence. How does it connect? Where has he been this whole time? So they had to basically build out an entire like Spider-Man, you know, mini world to populate this film with and having Tom Holland at the center of it was a huge gamble and in this in a similar way and it's it's weird to make this comparison and i feel weird making this comparison <laughs> but it's very similar to the idea that no we're not going to cast robert redford as superman we're going to go for this lesser known actor christopher reeve because we want people to see this character on screen and not go oh that's fucking timothy chalamet no this is that's Spider-Man. That's Peter Parker. And I just think it was a brilliant, brilliant choice. Because again, um, having uh, having Peter Parker be this, you know, this smart kid who you want to see succeed, there's something incredibly likable about Tom Holland in this role. You want this Peter to do well. Like, there, he's so endearing and... I'm so glad that you mentioned it uh, because Sarah Finn, who is the casting director for the MCU, essentially, she's like head of casting for Marvel. She, all of your favorite castings, she was the one that made it. Yeah. And so she was the final decision. And so huge props to Sarah Finn. She's incredible. Um, but yeah, this film is so interesting in that we know who Spider-Man is at this point. They don't try to, you know, give us another origin story the spider-man has been established for a while been super street level but he's like he's been around and we get you know in civil war that little tidbit where he's like yeah i've had these powers for six months and like it's very clearly still fresh that uncle ben just died and even though i do think that they should have mentioned uncle ben by now just my opinion um it you can tell that there's like a certain amount of hurt there and there's a, cert, a certain amount of vulnerability to this character that i really enjoy and that tom holland brings to the role and i think that it that it's juxtaposed by an incredible villain an incredible cast of villains in fact because this film decided to buck the trend of let's just do another green goblin and they decided let's do the fucking vulture <laughs> because that was a character that had he was spider-man's first costumed supervillain in the comics and so it makes sense to have him be that guy here and really when this um when this character was thought up to be in this film they were like we only have two actors in mind we only have two actors in mind for this it's either michael keaton or it's mark hamill and what a incredible incredible little pool of actors yeah, for this role. short list big like yeah. there's no there's no bad choice there yep. ultimately uh john watts himself offered the role to michael keaton who had just come off of birdman and he was like 
yeah, whatever, let's do it in his <laughs> Michael Keaton way. And I think he's brilliant, genuinely yeah. brilliant in this role. Before we dive into him, I just want to rattle off a couple other names because we've, we've talked about before how when the Spider-Man films are at their best, it's a character drama with some really stunning action set pieces. And when mm-hmm. they're at their worst, they're overloading villains for no discernible reason. This film kind of solves that problem because we have multiple villains in this film. We have uh, Bokeem Woodbine and Logan Marshall Green as the Shocker. We have Michael Chernus as Phineas Mason, a.k.a. the Tinkerer. We have Michael Mando as an as a proto-Scorpion, a.k.a. Matt Gargan. And at the head of it all, we have the Vulture. But it's balanced so well with these characters that it doesn't feel overstuffed. It doesn't feel like, oh, they're like, they're just trying to cram villains in. You know, it's as subtle as like, you know, Michael Keaton uh, killing the Logan Marshall Green character, picking up the gauntlet and going like, all right, now you're the shocker. And it's like, it's that simple. Like, I love how they're able to do that. And I think there is a certain amount of leeway they get being part of the MCU where they do Mm -hmm. have stuff like that established. But these villains are just dynamite, just really perfectly casted. Again, Sarah Finn, um, just really, really well done. How did you guys feel about uh, the Vulture and the villains in this film? Andrew. Oh, me. All right. No. All right. Um, I love my, I thought my Keaton was brilliant in this. And I'm, and I know we're going to talk about our favorite parts in the movie later. Um, I have two favorite and he's in both of them and they're yeah. my favorite because he's in them and is, you know, I'm really kind of in the dark when coming to the villain part of it. Um, I'm going to hand this one off early because those people <laughs> you mentioned, I don't know who they are, but here's the thing about, here's the thing. The movie still worked for me. So not knowing yeah. any of that, the hierarchy of who was in charge, who wasn't, was still brilliant. And I think too, Eric, before, before I, I you know, I can see it's aging, um, that th- I think what they did was they just kind of ex- knew people knew, like, we yeah. don't have to tell another, like you mentioned origin story. We don't have to tell about how uncle Ben died. We don't have to talk about and go in length about how this happened. We're just going to do it. And people are going to believe it because we're going to tell them to believe it. And there's this old saying, it's like, people don't know what to believe until you tell them what to believe, then they'll believe it. And in film, that's true. In film, if you, if you, you know, if you have talking heads or it's too much exposition, people are going to sit through it. They won't like it and they'll talk shit. But <laughs> if you just do it and in, in, in a film, in a film vignette and window and that story type of storyline, they'll believe it. Like it's rare. And, and, and we'll get the, about that in the next film too, which I really feel like that was kind of talking about this as well but no i want to i want i actually really want to hear aj's uh, interpretation of those villains because he knows exceptionally more than i do when it comes to that part of it (laughs) um you know i think it's kind of like you said thanks to the mcu we get like such a more fleshed out world uh in comparison to garfield and mcguire's world like mcguire's and garfield's both kind of need a little more time to explain how this works because it feels like it's Spider-Man in the real world trying to make sense. Right. When, when this is Spider-Man trying to make sense in the MCU where we've got Thor and we've got <laughs> Captain America and we've got like so many things that like these villains totally seem possible. So like when you can like, you know, like you said, like interchange the shocker and just like literally just touch on the tankerer just a tiny little bit and 
then like really do some good introduction for scorpion and then for the next bit really kill it with the vulture like it's one of those things on just like how, why you can appreciate like when they did this in the in the mcu's timeline i mean like at this point like so much had been introduced already that yeah. to introduce spider-man in full force and to really go with it and to like hit the ground running i think this was like the perfect time to introduce the character and introduce the world into the mcu and uh, like michael keaton is so good in this part and he is so scary like yeah. he, he is no longer batman and like it, even when he was batman he was still kind of scary but now as vulture he is like old man scary and that's a different kind of scary <laughs> <laughs> old man scary is terrifying old man scary is scary and it's like it's interesting because like obviously we will be seeing him in the flash film next year as batman again but mm -hmm. this introduced michael keaton to a whole new generation of audience and i think that a lot of people are going to see him as the vulture going forward now which i love um and he's so good he's so good you you're on his team for different points like this was a great little period where we were getting marvel finally figuring out their villains mm -hmm. because they're like we're getting zemo out of this we're getting killmonger out of this you know we're in that really great nice pocket yeah, where we're point. like getting these killer villains hella like these really fun villains that leaned heavily into the um into the comics versions but also were combined with just incredible casting and were paired with actors who could run with it well but more than that they're motivated like yes. all of those people you mentioned i've heard arguments that they weren't villains like killmonger is yeah. a great example people said that killmonger isn't a villain in that in that film and you tend to agree with it that's yeah that makes sense and watching this again yeah you could make the argument that that vulture was created by tony stark and and, and well loosely but you, you know you yeah. can make the argument for that but all those villains you talked about it, you know people could make a pretty good argument for like they were created by heroes to be villains like it's almost it's very Macbethian in that way where people Absolutely. trying to escape their own fate create the the worst part of their fate so you know um but you're, you're absolutely right eric that that pool of villains and the way that that writing came about was 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 yeah that was the sweet spot again during the civil war i'm just, just yeah. putting it out there it's, yeah just coming back to it and really like taking the idea of because in the in the comics vulture is nothing like this right in the comics adrian tombs is this aging billionaire who loses control of his company so he's like i am going to rob banks with wings and like to reimagine him as this working class guy who's just trying to make his way in the world is incredibly smart and i really really dig that oh just something that i wanted to kind of like that i kind of realized as i was watching this like something that really kind of gets um like this version of spider-man a lot of crap is just how just well off uh tom holland spider-man it just in this yes. world is like he's not very like working class uh superhero that we're used to spider-man be like especially toby mcguire spider-man was and yeah. a little bit that kind of got introduced in andrew garfield's but like this spider but like what you kind of just said and like we kind of brought up like is so interesting because you know 
what I, I really like to, I think there's so like a lot of comparison you can make between Michael Keaton and, um, the gob and green and, uh, Willem, Def- Will- Willem Dafoe's, uh, green goblin, mm-hmm. just in like, there's a lot of like just narrative and story, like just in like side by side in the movie, there's a lot of comparison between the two, but you have this like well-to-do Spider-Man versus a uh, working class vulture yeah. where in the very first introduction to Spider-Man, we have a working class Spider-Man versus like, a well-off green goblin. Yeah. Like it's just such a fascinating, like sort of different point in time where you have the same character and like similar villains, but you redistribute them and retell them in different ways. And it's just kind of fascinating to me. I think part of that um, is to make them relatable. If you think about it, if you can make the audience relate to your villain, every, I mean, we all got, we know this, right? So everyone's this is the news, but if you can make the audience relate to your villain, then you have a more layered villain and by making him working classes by making him there are people that are that, that have that exact job well they're not cleaning up stark tower and just terry <laughs> uh you know, remains but um yeah, working in construction working in cleanup yeah like, mm-hmm. exactly getting your hands dirty and so yeah. people that watch this movie can relate to that guy with his job being taken away in the first 15 minutes of the film now yeah. what how do I support my family now what do I do now I took it alone to make this my business now you're taking you know so, yeah. so I think that was a great choice, you know, that, and I think that's probably why they did it too. Totally agree. And that's, you know, skipping ahead a little bit. That's one of my favorite scenes. Oh, so it's just a cold open on, I, I also, and I've, I've mentioned this on the main podcast with, uh, with this isn't Hawkeye. the main podcast. What the I fuck? Ju- <laughs> <laughs> we're some side bitch. Is that yeah, what, what kind of us? shit is, is this? You're telling us now. You guys are my mistress. This is my mistress podcast. <laughs> we're gonna get in my hot red convertible and don't tell my wife. But uh, <laughs> but I mentioned that. I I love the idea of the Battle of New York being this like inciting incident for everybody mm-hmm. and everyone treating it differently. Like we've seen in Hawkeye, mm-hmm. not to derail it, you know. But we've seen that how that day has influenced like even minor characters and characters that haven't been introduced yet. And it's narratively, it's a super easy thing to be like, oh, yeah, he was there during during the battle. And like, I always had this stupid idea when they were like, oh, yeah, you know, Spider-Man's in the MCU now. We're just going to start it off with a montage of Peter Parker just running through the streets of New York, like as things are falling off you know off of the building and onto him like i just i love the idea that the battle of new york is this big old thing and utilizing it in a way that isn't so much inspiring other heroes but you know screwing over a normal guy and turning him into a villain i think is a really cool way to introduce this character and again gets you on his team immediately because you you Especially with like the smug damage control guys, that's just like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't have overextended yourself. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, okay. And he fucking punches it, which is exactly what I would do in that situation. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but like, that's exactly what would happen. It's like, okay, you want to pop off and be smart after you just ruined my fucking life. Cool. We're going to throw hands now. Right. Um, <laughs> it's just, off. it's really like, I, I love that. And I love his delivery of, just this character that we aren't super familiar with in like the mainstream and in uh, the MCU's world. I also want to touch on just very quickly, some other castings that were new for this. Um, I already mentioned it before. Tony Revolori as flash Thompson, uh, still love him in pretty much everything I see him in. He's fantastic and he's good in this as well. Um, 
rounding out our little <clears throat> our little trio is uh, Jacob Batalon as Ned and Zendaya as Michelle, later MJ. Um, and then we also have possibly my two favorite castings beyond like our main <clears throat> our main uh, you know Peter and uh, Adrian, which is Marissa Tomei as Aunt May and mm. Donald Glover as Aaron Davis. Yeah. I love both of them in this film. I love that that uh, Aunt May is basically like she doesn't understand that she's a hot aunt. Yeah. And so people keep kind of like I love like the scene where they're getting uh, I, I think they're getting dim sum and they're like, all right, here's some dessert. And he, she's like, we didn't order that. And they're like, it's on the house. And like he winks and walks away. She's like, oh, that was nice of him. <laughs> and they like just it's so like Marissa Tomei is a treasure. Yeah, wonderful in this. And then yeah. Donald Glover is just the best at all things. One of the most talented performers in any realm of our time. And him as the super understated Aaron Davis, who's just trying to buy a gun. And these guys keep trying to sell him <laughs> these like reality warping weapons. And he's like, I just I just want to buy a gun, man. And then like. I love the touch as well as, you know, a, a comic book geek where they're like, yeah, we got this. We got this. We got anti-graph climbing gear. He's like, oh, what? Climbing gear? Like, yeah, Prowler. Hell right. yeah. <laughs> and then the scene he gets later with uh, with Peter, where Peter goes like all interrogation mode on him and he's just not phased. He's like, you just you, you got to get better at this. Yeah. I, yeah, I get this part. Really, really cool stuff. And they again, they did a great job casting these characters. Did Are you there hear any... the story that John Watts said if Donna Glover didn't take that role, that he would write out that role? That he wrote out the character? That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. That's super cool. He wanted him that much and that bad. And I'm like I said, uh, Donald, when I watched Donald Glover, he was the best thing about Solo. And I, I didn't I didn't hate Solo like how some people did, but yeah. he by far I would love to see him in the Lander Carrisian like standalone. Absolutely. Film. And he's yeah. lined there, there the is, fuck up for I, that. I'm pretty sure they're working on that, but it hasn't been decided whether is it's going to be old Lando or young Lando. Is that you and Kevin uh, at dinner talking? And hey, you know, we just we don't we don't dinner and tell. Okay? Or uh, Kathleen just, Kennedy. <laughs> we don't dinner say, and tell. Yeah, Eric and Kevin Feige are having dinner. And Kathleen about Kennedy. There's you hey, know, Kev, Kev's part of that Star Wars he's, umbrella. He's part now, of that or, tripod. But, uh, I mean, Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige. I don't call him Kev. No. Um, we're not friends. Uh, so <laughs> no, but it's, it's really, um, it's fascinating because for those of you who aren't aware, uh, which I would be surprised at this point, if you're not, uh, Donald Glover has his own sorted history with Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. He's a certified geek, which is fantastic. Um, he had, there's this whole campaign for him to play Peter Parker in the amazing Spider-Man films. And it got like, huge huge um media coverage petition signed ultimately they decided to go with classic white peter parker which is how we got the incredible uh andrew garfield but uh donald glover was the inspiration for uh brian michael bendis and sarah pacelli to create miles morales oh. so having him be not just in this spider-man movie but be the uncle of miles morales is just Ah, chef's kiss. Incredible. I didn't know that. That's cool. I did not know that. That's yeah. Amazing. It's truly spectacular. Ah. So let's talk about some favorite scenes here. Um, mm. 
I already mentioned a couple of mine. I also just real quick, I'm going to hot shot these real quick so you guys can go through yours. Um, I love the friendly neighborhood montage, as I've called it. Like when he's just suited up, he's like, all right, I'm going to get out of school. He like, you know, gets out of school. He puts on his costume, does a little button thing where it like back to the future two like vacuum forms to his body. And then he's just like going around the neighborhood, like showing old ladies, giving them directions and like just not being very good at his job. Like, stopping the bike thief but not knowing where to put the bike stopping a supposed car thief who's just trying to get into his car and like just just really fun stuff and i enjoy seeing spider-man on the street level which is what i love so much about this film Mm -hmm. Uh, i also love the two big action set pieces which is the washington monument i love that scene so much and there's a really cool um beat in there where he once he gets to the top he kind of looks down and he's like oh, i've never been this high before and like we're so used to spider-man just swinging through skyscrapers in new york that it's like yeah this guy's a friendly neighborhood spider-man like he hasn't been this high and i just mm-hmm. i love little touches like that um obviously the fairy the aftermath of that his conversation with tony and then just all the way from that the back half of this film is fucking stacked okay from the fairy sequence all the way through i forgot how well like everything folds into place like he has the argument with tony loses the suit gets back has that incredibly emotional scene with aunt may where she's like freaking out because he wouldn't answer his phone and like you that's where you see the damage that uncle ben's death has had on her just oh so good leading into the you know him asking liz out to the homecoming dance to his little montage getting ready for the homecoming dance all the way up to that reveal at the house (laughs) which um i just want to talk about with you guys real quick because hold on let me stop it that's one of my favorite scenes too before you before you jump all over it i want to say that before you get into it though because i don't want you to steal my thunder (laughs) make it 10 you know (laughs) no but for real it is i remember the visceral reaction of the audience in the theater when you know you get this really hopeful moment and it's like okay great he's gonna you know he asked the girl out to the dance the door opens and fucking michael keaton is there and it's just your heart drops into your into your knees like you it's like I distinctly remember the gasps from the audience, one of them being mine in the theater, where it's just like, oh, fuck. Because we never, it's so well written that we never make that connection. Yeah. Even though there are clues throughout the film and just all the way from there into the car ride, which is one well, of the. Most- da, 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 da. That is the second of my two. <laughs> so before you get into that one, that's my second. Talk about it. Talk about it. Um, the actually, that, that's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. It's same. It's the subtle. T- is it? All right, Andrew. Well, I'll, I'll, it, well, I'll take the first half. Andrew, you take the second half. Yeah, because because I'm interested in both of your perspectives. Because like from a screenwriting standpoint, Chris obviously has written many a thing, and AJ is a huge savant of the arts. So like, I want to get your perspectives on not just like the writing of that scene, because it's one of the most tense scenes in the entire MCU and it's just a car ride, but like the use of lighting, the use of the characters, I'm just go off. 
All right, Andrew, I'll take the first half. You take the second half because I don't want to. I don't want to steal thunder. You um, just go. You just go. <laughs> it's it's a great exercise in what you can do with just words on a page. Because if you think about it, again, both these two gentlemen are actors, as I'm sure everybody knows this. You're given a script, and you know you're given direction, but really when they're talking, because we got to set the scene, right? We've got Peter. We've got uh, Michael Keaton. And remind me, what's what's the girl's name? I can't think of her name right now. Liz Allen. Liz, thank you. They're going on this date. They're 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 being driven to the dance, and really, it's it's a simple conversation. Like, it's nothing more than Peter being asked a couple of questions, and then kind of being picked up from Liz, and just like the dad listening, and just kind of, it's great editing. You see, you see, kind of Michael Keaton. You see it on his face, making the connection. He's not saying a word, but he's just listening. And then the actor, and it's in 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 the very few books I've read about directing and acting is that reactions are are equally as important as actions. You know, when, you know when you're not speaking but you're on camera, and in that moment, you can just see Michael Keaton's character making the connections of who Peter really is, and. Peter's trying not to say too much. He's not trying to expose himself, but but it's it's like these words are like bombshells. Boom, boom, boom. You just get a little bit more. And then he realizes it, right? And then and then I love the part when they park and says, you know what? I'm gonna have the dad talk with uh with Peter. And um, I just think that was great. Now I, I don't want to take uh, Andrew, I want to let you go because I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about the whole scene altogether. But but man, leading up to that point, and like I said, Eric, too, the the, the colors. And just what they did with the editing and the moments of silence is just, were just like bombs going off was fantastic. No, I, I love that scene so much. Like, um, what is it like the use of space and the use of lighting in that scene, especially like when you really take a look at and getting to see like the stoplight reflections onto them, you get to see the red on, on, uh, uh, Peter, and you get to see the green on Volta. Yeah, and it's just so amazing. And well, and sorry, I I just I I just want to hijack that because like the because totally. you mentioned it, like the timing of it mm-hmm. is they're sitting at the stoplight, it's red, and then he makes the connection, and it turns green, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, right, just really cool use. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, totally, totally. Like it's such it's such great use, and then like it's kind of like what you said, Chris, like you know, to, to be stuck there with those bombshells going off and, you know, seeing, uh, Tom Holland react to, um, to, uh, Vulture or slowly get it. And like that, that duel of action reaction to each other. And that just beautiful, like just sort of idea of, you can't see this guy's face. You can only just see his eyes just dart back at you every now and again slowly realizing your secret more and more and more it's just such a terrifying uncomfortable scene and like it's so it's so teenager and it's so like like that it's just so prime and great for that age as well to talk about like that sort of insecurity and that fear and to like on top of it be like a super villain as to, to your superhero like oh it's just so good it's such a good scene What's great about that part of it too is that the way Keaton plays it, he plays it straight. Like he's just taking his kid on a date, and like we know he's a supervillain, we know he's a bad guy, but the way that he acts around his daughter and his family is just—it's 
I don't, it's endearing. You know, you mm-hmm. kind of don't, you don't hate the guy. Right. And so he just wants his best for his daughter. And I love at the end when he's parked, he's got the gun and he's talking to Peter and he's saying, I know who you are, you know, and I, I know that, you know, I don't the fucker. And he says, um, I just saved your life. What do you say? It was such a power move. Like that was a power. And then, and then for Tom to say, thank you. He's like, that's right. Now go show my daughter a good time. Not too good of a time. I just, you know, just the way the levity changes all the while he's holding a gun in the, in, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, it's just a great, that scene is my favorite scene in, in, in the entire film. Easy, easy. And, and the grounding of it too, because like we're used to, you know, like giant death machines or like laser blasters this guy just straight up is like going through like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill everyone you love. Unless you stay out of my way. And then he just pulls out a handgun, just casually like he is going to try to shoot this child. Like yeah. it's so real and it feels grounded, which is again, one of the strengths of this film that it makes you feel uncomfortable in that way where it's like, this is a little too real. But again, that moment where he goes, he slips back into dad mode and he's like, <laughs> all right, go get in there. And it, I love it's another like touch. He calls him Pedro. Yeah. Okay, like, hey, Pedro. That's right. Yeah. I, I just I, it's a really like small touch, but I really dig it. And um, just his dad energy, his switch between dad energy to that terrifying old man energy is just masterfully done. Mm-hmm. Um my it's tough but i think my favorite scene in the film might be the uh come on spider-man it's the uh callback to amazing spider-man number i believe it's either 33 or 35 um at the end of the master planner saga where he has to push the rubble off of him Mm. i love that shit to death okay that's one of my favorite spider-man moments in all of comics one of my favorite moments in all of comics period and just having the scene start off like after you know adrian has duped him he is you know taken the you know the glider wings through the pillars and it all collapses on him and it starts off with him just like screaming like screaming for help it's like fuck yeah this kid's like 15 like god damn like again incredibly well acted by tom holland just really really good um and then he finally like takes the moment where he sees again ridiculously good he sees in the puddle the reflection like the reflection of his face with a half mask another classic like spider-man callback and he Mm. just starts pushing that off like it makes it gets me fucking hyped just like talking about it like i'm like yeah fucking push that rubble off of you god damn it (laughs) like it's a great scene and that's really the moment that it's like that's spider-man like he's here well he hears it too right he hears he hears tony and he says if you're if I think he says like, if you only, if you're only you because of the suit, then you don't deserve it. Right. He yeah. hears it. And that kind of motivates that, 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 that too. So yeah. 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 And I, and I think just rounding out some of my favorite scenes, uh, the end scene where he mm-hmm. rejects the Avengers and he decides mm-hmm. to be a neighborhood Spider-Man. I love that shit. I love the fact that he's just like, that suit is way too gaudy. I like being in my little pajama suit, which I still think is my favorite Spider-Man suit that Tom Holland has worn. The little homemade suit with a little hoodie. Like, I love that shit. I love that shit. Chris is rolling his eyes right now, but I love that shit. And um, him just deciding, like, I don't, like, he's worked for this whole thing about trying to be an Avenger. And he finally is like, I don't need it. 
I don't need this to be Spider-Man. Like, I'm going to go be Spider-Man. I love that. And that's why the next film really bothers me because they backtrack a lot of that work. But what doesn't bother me is the fact that this film might have made a little bit of money. <laughs> Which brings us to Chris's number corner. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's it's funny. Generally, I'm 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 really I'm really excited to talk about these because I like numbers for the most part. But I was just having such a good time talking about the performances. Like, man, that was just it was really good to go back and watch Michael Keaton in that scene in the car. And, and you know, it's funny. Just real quick, even the big battle scenes felt cleaner. They felt more polished, and I can't tell you why. I just know they work better than. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 battle scenes. And just, there was something organic about the suit that Vulture was wearing too. Like it just felt like it could really exist and it didn't feel, you know, stiff like Goblin suit. And going, we're, that's over 10 years ago at this point, maybe even 15 years. So there, a lot of changes in technology have happened, but it was such, such a good film. Okay. So it's important to remember that first of all, we talked about Tom Holland being pretty, you know, uh, unestablished when this came out. Do you guys know John? And this is relevant, so I promise I'm not just vamping here. What John Watts, the director, had done prior to this? No, no. He had done two movies. Tell me if Whoa. you've heard of any of them. One of them was called Clown. It's about, no, it's about a killer clown. I've actually seen it. It's, it's pretty good, uh, but it was super. But it was super indie. It was produced by Eli Roth, who had a heavy hand in it. The next year did Cop Car. Have you guys seen Cop Car? Nobody has. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> Clown was 2014. Cop Car was 2015. Spider Man was 2017. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. So not only did they cast, you know, a dude who's only been in five things, they, you know, they they penned the director who's basically done two indie films i mean it's no mark webb who just went from directing his first film into spider-man but respect to john watts <laughs> well respect. at this point and, and there is a trend here and again i'm, I'm not bad this is, i'm saying this for a reason um colin trevorrow he was a director of the jurassic park reboot series and what universal has gone on to say is that he was picked because if it didn't do well they would just get rid of him it wasn't a big deal for them if it hits you hit you hit basically on a rookie contract so they've got you at a cut rate for the next one, which I don't know if you guys know, but it made like a billion dollars. You know, the, the, it was mm. like one of oh, the yeah. highest. So they hit huge. huge. So Colin Trevorrow, it was made, but he could have easily been not. This is in the window where they bring it up is because John Watts, they kind of hedged their bet on John Watts here as well. If this tanks, he's out. No big deal. We bring somebody else in. You don't go see a movie because of director mostly, unless it's a Spielberg movie, you see it because of who's in it. So he hit really well. And so on that note, it's important to remember the production budget, right? That's the, that's where you have to, that's where everything starts from. So Homecoming's production buzz was 175 million, which was 25 million less than The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which was $40 million less than The Amazing Spider-Man, which was $78 million less than Spider-Man 3 which was 25 million less than Spider-Man 2. The only budget that it had a bigger one was in the original Spider-Man, the original Toby one. It's important to know. So this budget baked them in 117 million on opening weekend. It's pretty respectable, right? It's not bad. It had actually had the third highest, actually second highest opening of all Spider-Man films, all of them. So the big part about this is worldwide, 
it made $153 million. So this is the fourth highest grossing Spider-Man film in the series. Wow. wow. On a budget that was the second lowest. And that's oh. important to make the distinction, right? You right. have to know where you start from so you can see your turn of investment on that end of it. And it's, uh, it was, a, obviously, it's a huge deal because their stud, who their stud actor who nobody had heard of and their director who nobody heard of just hit on, you know, uh, the fourth highest uh, total on the Spider-Man film on a budget that was second to lowest of all time. Wow. Oh, damn. Yeah, it was a big deal. And, and honestly, it, it, it really hit it outside of the States. I'll say that. Um, but also $334 million in the States. So usually you taper off after the first weekend. This one didn't. This one basically had three first run weekends in a row, 117 times three, right around 334, give or take. So it was, it had legs. People like Tom Holland and people loved the fact that it was still involved with the MC, that it was involved with the MCU. So new number wise. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it, it did okay. And in, in, here's the other thing too, in comparison, just for shits and giggles, Civil War's budget was $250 million, $250 million. So it had over $75 million less budget wow. than Civil War. Wow. I mean, granted, Civil War made 1.1 billion. I mean, that's right. not, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to say that. Hey, but here's an interesting number. It only, it made 408 million in the domestic box office, 408, right? Spider-Man made 334. So, in the States, there wasn't that big of a difference. When you got to overseas and especially the Chinese markets, that's when Civil War really just kind of took off. But when you look at it pound for pound in the States, it was a pretty good fight. So on a $75 yeah. million less budget, which is fucking crazy. Nice. Crazy. Yeah. And that was reflected in the five awards that this film won. So... uh Granted, three of these awards were from the Teen Choice Awards for choice <laughs> for summer movie, uh, summer movie or summer actress and summer actor for the film Zendaya and Tom Holland, respectively. Kids Choice Award, uh, favorite movie actress for Zendaya and the Saturn Award for the best performance by young by a younger actor in a film for Tom Holland. Hmm. Oh, I, so, I just. I find it really funny that like a movie about school and like the kind of like the teenage school experience is yeah. a summer movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. And all of their awards were won by kids. So <laughs> yeah, it's overall, this film is a blast and it does a great job balancing some of the more ridiculous ideas with a really grounded story about two people forced on a collision course because of the actions of someone like Tony Stark. Um, having the almost like, I don't want to like go this deep on it, but like almost like the classist uh, clash between, as you guys pointed out, like a working class vulture versus a somewhat well-off higher middle class. Uh, Peter Parker is really fun. Um, do you have any final thoughts on the film and how would you rate it out of 10? I'm going to go with AJ first. Um, you know, rewatching it again, like I really appreciate it. I really enjoy it. Um, I do, I, I do kind of miss, and I do think the every man, um, 
unlucky, um, really struggling financial uh, Peter Parker and like that kind of life is kind of missing and I think would just be shining so brightly in these movies if it was a little bit more like that. Um, I do think it's a little bit too poppy. I do think it's a little too upbeat and... I kind of just wish the weight of Spider-Man was there within the swings because it doesn't feel like it is. It feels like it's just a little too light and happy, which I which I I understand it's the MCU and it's Disney and we got to get kids in and we got to, you know, make sure everyone's happy, but there's just something nice about Spider-Man where the real life situations and the real life weight of of life uh can be felt in the Spider-Man stories. Um, I would rate this movie maybe like a six, maybe a six and a half out of ten. Like lower yeah, it, than I expected. Yeah, yeah, like I, I really like it. Like I really like it. I don't think it's that great of a movie, but I really like it. <laughs> the Chris? Fucking metric. I, I really <laughs> like it. I'll give it a six. God damn this fucking guy. <laughs> Jesus. Um uh i want to make an amendment to my uh my numbers early it is the this film was the third highest grossing i said fourth it is the third highest grossing spider-man film of all time oh hell yeah. um yeah it's sitting ironically enough it was sitting there's two sitting in front of it i'll give you one it's spider-man 3 which we all panned right uh, yeah yeah so but um you know I, the the acting really sold this for me and you can just it's just it's just different man like at this point it, the the mcu was a well-oiled machine it, it just was was running smooth and so they're casting again eric you hit on it um haley was it haley finn uh sarah finn sarah finn her, mm. her i think her dad is is haley finn or mally finn who was a big time caster in the 80s lots of arnold Schwarzenegger movies lots of baby <laughs> oil and the muscles um <laughs> but I think the, the acting really, really nailed him. And I think the help that, that Tom Holland got and really kind of bringing him out with, you know, carrying over Iron Man's kind of story to, cause, cause we didn't really touch on that either. It, it, they have a very close relationship and it, and it unfolds obviously through, through Endgame and through Infinity War and Endgame and, and even through the next film we're going to talk about too. Um, but having him in this film kind of serves is not, maybe uncle ben role but maybe not at the same time and i don't think the film suffers for that i think it really helped it people want to see more of iron man people love iron man i mean right. they're, they're talking about bringing him back mm. uh you know so but at the same time i feel like establishing its own universe well it's going it's like changing a wheel on a car that's still driving and it just worked however they did it, it was it really was magical i gotta say michael keaton's great i think they knew that I think that's why they kept him around. We had that post-credit scene. Um, yeah. We have him showing up in the Mo Morbius trailer too, if I recall, right? Mm -hmm. In the Spider-Man, in a Spider-Man universe, but I don't know if it's the Tom Holland one. But um, I think that uh, it's definitely something, and it was exciting. I'll say when I when I watched this, I was kind of not really wanting to like it more than the Garfield one, right? Because I, right. in my heart of hearts, Andrew Garfield's my dude. As far as the universe they created, this one is infinitely better than the Garfield universes and even the Toby universes for sure. But I, I still don't know if Tom Holland's my favorite Spider-Man. I will mm. say that Michael Keaton is my favorite villain by leaps and bounds. I think probably, and that will, I think that's going to hold true for the rest of the ones that we see here as well. Yeah. Um, but for my rating, I would say it's a solid eight. I think um, it was it was very very enjoyable, and I it's. Uh, the fact that Jessica hasn't watched it gives me another reason to go back and watch it. So, Hell yeah, yeah, Hell yeah. for real, it's going to be a solid eight for me. 
for sure. Yeah, and I I agree with both of you on different points. Like it is definitely uh, played up as a teen drama, and sometimes <laughs> that can get in the way of the you know story they're trying to tell. Not as much as the next film, but I do think that there is for a first outing for a young Spider Man, it rules. It's one of those one of those stories about a kid trying to figure out his way in the world. And I love the story that Tom Holland's Peter Parker goes on. The villain absolutely crushes it. We've already gushed about Michael Keaton, but it bears repeating. He is one of the best parts of this film. And your your hero is only as good as your villain. And it really shines on both of them here. I think the supporting cast is really fun as well. Uh, it's light, it's poppy, sometimes a little bit too much, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for needle drops, so I enjoy it. Um, and overall, it's just, it's a great Spider-Man film. And the thing I love about the most, there's no world-ending stakes. There's no, you know, the city is going to be destroyed or eaten by a black hole. It's like, it's the story of two guys who are diametrically opposed because of what they choose to believe in. And it just happens to be that they have to clash. And it's street level. It feels intimate. It feels like other stuff can be happening. And yet this is Spider-Man's story. Nobody else could. There's no other Avenger who you could tell the story with right now. And I really appreciate that about it. So for me, just like Chris, easy at 8 out of 10 here. I think it's a solid, solid film. One of my favorites when it comes to the Spider-Man films overall. But that means that we are at the end of this edition of Spidey Sember. And that means we've only got one more stop until No Way Home, ladies and gents. Yeah. Next time, we are going to be diving into the sequel the very uh, mixed bag sequel that is Spider-Man Far From Home. Look for that very soon. Uh, and then we are on to No Way Home. So strap in. We are in the we're in the end game now. So get ready for it. Uh, tune in next time for that same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, uh, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana, Chris Carter, AJ Kincaid. And we will see you next time.